0: It's hard to believe that it was a year ago that we were um, worshiping by looking at the screen and I was looking out at an empty sanctuary and very thankful for the technology that enabled us to do that but I'm even more thankful that you're all here and that I can uh, I can share this time with you and that we can open God's word together um, as a church body so I'm going to invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning. If you've been reading along or following along in our study in Ecclesiastes, you are hearing from the wise Kohelet, the wise preacher and teacher, uh, his investigation of all that transpires uh, in this life under the sun. And uh, he has looked at, he has experienced all that goes with work. He has looked at pleasure. He has looked at relationships. He has looked at wealth and continues to contrast the life of wisdom and uh, the life of wisdom, um, I just said that, life of wisdom and folly, folly and wisdom. I was thinking of this little doll that my mom has, a uh, little Russian doll, these matryoshka dolls, or a beautifully painted little wooden doll, but then it it, it breaks apart in the middle or it just pulls apart, and then there's another doll just like it on the inside, and you take that one out and that one pulls apart, and you take that one and it pulls apart until you're left with all these Uh, little uh, wooden dolls uh, down to the little tiny one that can no longer uh, separate it really is a good picture of what the wise teacher is doing in this investigation really a picture of what life is like uh, for us We, we think we know what we're looking at we think we have some understanding and then we realize no there's a lot more there than what we realized Uh, Maybe we thought we we understand more of ourselves or others or how this world works, and then we realize, no, there's a lot more to learn, a lot more uh, that I don't understand. Uh, Life can be hard to make sense of. Uh, And so we conclude, along with the wise teacher, that so much of this is vanity. Not pointless, not meaningless, but it's so limited, it's so temporary. Just like your breath on a cool morning and life uh, is gone. So what do we do with that? How should we think and respond to this vanity under the sun? So we look to the God of eternity who made everything under the sun. Purpose, joy, satisfaction and living in the fear of God and, and keeping that eternity in front of us. That's the answer to the disappointment and the frustration and the confusion the evil that we will face uh, in this life Uh, so praise God for a word like Ecclesiastes that is so honest about this um, and what it is we're facing every day so the teacher is going to take us back to that great equalizer that same event that happens to all at death and uh, I'm I'm realizing the more of Ecclesiastes I, I don't know much but I'm absolutely certain that until the return of King Jesus That we're going to face death it's going to come to every one of us at some point living in the living in the fear of god with faith in the finished work of jesus we do not fear this death but we will face it Um, true for all humanity and that that should impact the choices we make day to day because we are considering our end Um, so i'm going to read the first 12 verses here of chapter 9 Ecclesiastes 9, but all this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten." Their love and their hate and their envy, they've already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the wisdom of God's enduring word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful that you would condescend to us and reveal to us your very heart. Lord, you are the source of all that is good and all that is wise. And so we ask you now to draw near And to work this wisdom into our own hearts and minds. Show us, Holy Spirit, how to apply this word. Incline our hearts to you. Lord, show us. Maybe shock us into reality of where we live now, what we experience now, and what we hope for. What we fully expect to come. Lord, thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Action and reaction, cause and effect, uh, happening all around us. Uh, we expect certain things to happen because there are certain causes. When I walk into a dark room and I hit the switch, I am expecting that the light will come on. And if it doesn't, then something's wrong and I need to investigate what's happening. Um, you know, just thinking the amount of rain that we had on this last Wednesday, that, that cause we, we could expect some you know local flooding or something like that. We saw some of that. Um, you know, if there's a a big oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, that cause we can there's an effect. There's going to be ant or an you know, animal and plant a death because of that. Uh, you eat lots of junk food and you start to have a little crummy in the tummy. Cause and effect. We understand this. And then there are layers of causes and layers of effects, so much so, much so in God's created order that we can, we can predict and we can manipulate causes and their effects to give us control. If every, if every effect has a cause and we can understand the cause, then we can keep control, which, which lends itself Considering cause and effect, it really lends itself to the perception that this world can be controlled, that it can be mastered even by us as human beings. If we understand all causes and effects, uh, you know, we can actually shape, we can actually define ourselves. We can consider ourselves in control, or at least with the capacity to gain more control. I think of every piece of advertising, every product that's pushed before you will in some way reinforce this sense of control that we can stave off in some way our mortality or our weakness and frailty, perhaps even death. And yet how often do we think we have control, we think we understand the cause and effect relationship, and then something else happens altogether. I was thinking of the story of Haman in Esther. Maybe you remember Haman, Persian official, good friend of the king, uh, a man who loved honor and attention. Uh, And then when Mordecai was outside of of the palace there, when the Jew Mordecai would not give him this attention that he desired, well, he he wanted to get rid of Mordecai, not just of Mordecai, but all his people as well. So with a little twisting, a little deception, he convinces the king that, that Mordecai, the Jewish people, are an enemy to the state. They need to be uh, ridden of. Um, and he thinks his plan is working really well. He's feasting with the king and queen. Um, and then once Mordecai gives him uh, even less attention, he says, I'm going to have some gallows built to have Mordecai hung on because that's the kind of power he had. Um, But then, as the the plot is uncovered, Haman ends up hanging on the very gallows that he built to hang his enemy. Uh, Didn't see that coming. Not the control that he thought he had. So the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he's taking us on this journey of life under the sun, showing us that so much of what we think we understand about cause and effect doesn't always work that way. Find so much of life, so much of life is unpredictable. We may have an idea, may have a plan, even for what the day may hold, what what causes will produce what effects, but we don't know our times from day to day. So we enjoy the times we have with those that we have in the fear of God, and that's why I want us to to see this where the wisdom takes us. That we are all in God's hand, which means we can enjoy all from God's hand. All in His hand and all from God's hand. Maybe uh, may be hard for us to see what God is doing, how He's working at times, most of the time. Because nothing we seem to do ever guarantees a successful uh, outcome. The preacher here uses fairly common technique in Hebrew literature where he states the conclusion right up front. Here it is. Love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It's the same for all. The same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. So those first three verses, and again in 11 and 12, convey this reality that life is unpredictable. Things are not always going the way we expect or we would like. Same sort of events happen to all sorts of people. The race doesn't always go to the swift. Battle not to the strong. Um, It does a lot of the time within God's created order. Cause and effect. We have these expectations. But the best team doesn't always win. I just filled out my NCAA college basketball bracket a couple of days ago. Now I know nothing about any college basketball team. I haven't followed any college basketball team. I don't know who the strong players are. I don't know who's on a winning streak, but it was, it was fun to fill out. But if the number two team is playing the number 16 team, just about all the time, I'm going to pick the number two team. But we all know what happens, right? We know that that three-point shot at the buzzer changes the outcome of the game, and number 16 beats the number two team, and it messes up the whole bracket the next month. Things may not turn out the way that we expect. Um, Now, we can think of cause and effect. We can pursue health and uh, fitness for our bodies. That's that's a good thing. Uh, Pursue education, be well educated, maybe make strong, wise investments. These are good things. But the unforeseen will still come. Um, I think about the unforeseen, the unpredictable. We like the unpredictable and the un, or the un, unexpected when it's in our favor, when it's a really cool thing. Maybe that friend stops by and, and visits you just when you needed some company. Um, or there's you know the, the tree comes down in the storm and it just misses the car. Unexpected but welcomed. Um, or maybe you find some extra money in your checking account. Because the government just cares and has extra they want to share with you. Um, It could be. It could be. So the unexpected can be very wonderful, but it can also be very painful. Um, I mean, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, the same storm knocks out your computer and you lose all the work. Uh, That tree that missed the car fell on the house. Uh, Or illness strikes in the prime of life. These are painful things. And so the wise, the wise recognize that this is happening in life and that it's in God's hand. And it may grieve us. It doesn't stop the, the pain. It may grieve us to the core of our being. But it doesn't shock us out of reality. It shocks us into reality. See In Ecclesiastes, it, it tells us that when these evil times come, and they will come, be reminded of the place in which we still live about this life under the sun now death the, the death and resurrection of jesus has reversed the curse it's reversed it but we're still living in its shadow the heart of humanity is still full of evil evil times will come when we least expect them just like the animal who's doing what god created them to do walking around looking for food and snap uh, we were watching uh, some of the winter birds, the cedar waxwings who like to flock together and they'd fly to the holly bushes in the front of our house to eat those nice red holly berries. They completely cleaned out the bushes. But every now and then you'd hear a thump and you'd look and there'd be a little feather on the window or you'd see a bird on the ground sort of trying to figure out what had happened. Um, this, this happens to us, doesn't it? At different times. You're going along and smack... And don't let let the chance language there frighten you in verse 11. It's just, you know, life isn't just flipping a coin. These these are the occurrences, the happenings of everyday life that keep on happening. We don't know our time. Certainly the time of death is in view here, but we don't know the events of every day. These times are all in God's hand. And remind us that the, the twisted things These evil times under the sun will not always be so. It grows our our longing for a world restored where the God of all eternity puts an end to the vanity. It's an end that Jesus has already secured for us. The resurrected Jesus is the first fruits of all those who have been made alive. Made alive by the mercy of God. He's the proof, the guarantee, the certainty of this new world without any of these evil times. Um, you know, the Lord has put us here. We, you know, the, the world belongs to our God. It doesn't belong to us. And because it doesn't belong to us, there is a limit to what we can understand about this world and what we can actually achieve in it. Our Creator God's a God of order. We see the cause and effect, right? We, 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 we can see this. But he may allow some of this disruption. He may allow this, what seems like chaos, not because he wants to inflict pain on us, not because he wants to see us squirm, because we need to be constantly reminded of who is actually in control. Haman had a pretty painful reminder of this. We are finite, mortal creatures made for immortality with our God. And so every occasion that doesn't go as planned, every circumstance that doesn't go the way we expected, I mean, I'm thinking of Job again here, um, opportunity to consider the good and wise work of God in our lives uh, and the reality that we don't control the times. Um, or we should practice this for a second. I am, I am not God and I am not in control. Would you say that out loud with me for a second? I am not God, and I am not in control. Do you believe that? We can say it, but do you believe that that is true? Apostle Paul, he closes his instruction in Romans 11, just a beautiful high doxology. He says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? It continues, from him, through him, and to him are all things. So the times, the events of your life and mine are in God's hand, uh, and no less the time that we die. And the wise teacher here, he circles back around. He's made, already made the connection uh, that death has with the righteous and the wicked. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Uh, The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. So the focus here is not, he's not commenting on life after death per se. He's making a simple comparison between what is possible while we are alive and what is no longer possible for those who are deceased. In the ancient Near East, they didn't think about uh, puppy dogs the way that we think about them. Uh, They are not, uh, man's best friend, and um, you know the cuddly, affectionate pets that we um, think of them today. Uh, they were just mangy, dirty mutts with little value; they could be discarded, you know, very easily. Uh, the lion, on the other hand, that was a picture of pride and glory, uh, true warrior pictured with a lion. So the teacher says that the pride and glory, the, the warrior is dead, but the pathetic mangy mutt is still alive, and that's better. Um, the dead are forgotten, and there's, there's no longer any involvement in the affairs of this life. So that, that role is done. Even a dog can still interact with part of the world that they're in because they're alive. So we're reminded that while we are still alive, there is hope, there is still a role we can play in God's unfolding plan. We can still respond with love and hate and those other emotions. But when we die, that that comes to an end. No more share, no more input in this life. So we cherish life, all life that God has given. And that's the conclusion uh, that wisdom makes here, verses seven through ten. We are all in our living, our dying, we're in God's hand, so we should enjoy all from God's hand in the few days that we're given. This picks up that that thread from chapter 8, verse 15. What is the wise response of those living in the fear of the Lord? Take joy where it is found. This is, you know, be tuned in to, to God's providence and what He's doing, you'll find that there is much to take joy in, much to celebrate. Like eating and drinking and getting dressed up for a show. Our Creator God approves our enjoyment of what He's provided. The language here isn't just, you know, approves of whatever we do, but the delight we have in Him through His good gifts. The delight we take in His world. Poet, uh, English poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she once penned these words, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. And only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Do we see and enjoy the goodness and the beauty Uh, that God has placed around us. I've mentioned this before, it bears repeating. We don't need to dwell on this, but we can easily devote ourselves to the gifts that God has given and not to the giver. We take the good things and we turn them into God things. And when we do this, we we only end up disappointed. Always we'll end up disappointed. Because these good things were never intended to give us the satisfaction and the joy of knowing our God and abiding in His love. Making much of Him is our greatest joy. So we don't worship the created things. Um, We don't worship these gifts. We're also not so ascetic in our lifestyle that we refuse to enjoy the things that God has given to us. That He's made good. And asceticism has this, I mean really all religions, you can find some form of asceticism where there's this extreme self-denial in order to be closer to God, or to be more spiritual. Um, if, we, if we deny these things, then, then the more you know, spiritual we become. And I think of the, the monastic lifestyle, life of monks, and it uh, was a form of this, uh, but with a more specific focus on disciplined godly living. That was the focus of, of denial, which is a little different than just denial is godliness. There is actually good and appropriate denial. Uh, Just because we can enjoy something God has provided doesn't mean we always should at that time. Um, Here's where it takes the wisdom of God. It takes the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all part of the fruit of God's Spirit in us. But if we know that that food (laughs) or that drink... Or that activity, gaming, movie watching, just driving, shopping, name it. Um, if that's going to make it harder to resist temptation, then it, it may need to be denied. Um, think of fasting. We deny ourselves when we fast. Fasting actually serves a real purpose. It's meant to focus, channel our hunger, our thirst, and prayer, and um Deepen our dependence upon God. But it's when we twist and misuse the good things that we get the bad things. Enjoying the good things of God. Food, drink, recreation, intimacy. He's given us these things freely to enjoy within the limits and bounds that He has created. And these boundaries are good. These boundaries are wise and necessary. They're given because God loves us. I mean, any, any parent or one who has you know, some love and responsibility and caring for another understands this. And God knows where those boundaries should be. And we only have to look at places like Romans chapter 1 to see what happens when he allows his image bearers to follow the lusts of their hearts and set those boundaries themselves. It will never, ever, ever end well. We're watching it unfold. The devastation it creates every day. Um, but with this command to, to enjoy life, we really have opportunity um, enjoying life at every time, opportunity. But still guarding against the health, um, wealth, prosperity, comfort, theology um, that really appeal. It's appealing. It appeals to our our self preservation. And God may very well bless us with health and and happiness and prosperity for a time, but know that it is a a time and season somewhere on your faith journey. Maybe maybe you're enjoying a a smooth, straight stretch of road, but in time, the potholes and the detours and the closures are going to come. Through these things, God is shaping us more into the image of His Son. He's going to form a deeper joy, deeper dependence upon Him. Consider the life of our Savior. Born in humility, growing in obedience through what He suffered. He knew disappointment. He knew the, the pain of rejection, the pain of death, all for the joy that was set before Him. The Apostle Paul, quite familiar. Uh, with this type of trouble and loss, familiar with his own weakness, but he would happily suffer it all in order to gain Christ, to be found in him. So as we share in Christ's suffering, so we share in his glory. Church family, the biblical faith is not about comfort and control. It's about deep trust in the one whose grace is sufficient for every day, for this day, his grace is sufficient. So, all from God's hand, everyday nourishment, pleasure, all these things, relationships, and the labors that we find to do. This is verses end uh, verse nine, into ten. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Uh, Sheol here is not an eternal punishment uh, that is the destination of all, but that resting place of the dead. Uh, In Sheol, really enforcing the message of verses 4-6. through There's no no labor happening. Contribution over in Sheol. I think this is as close as we get to that biblical carpe diem. Seize the day. Uh, Be diligent. Be steadfast in the work that you've been given. May the Master find you faithful at His return with what He's entrusted. Uh, Now is the time to do the best study that you can. Now is the time to provide the best care that you can. Now is the time to to make, produce the best product that you can. Say, well, I'll get around to it. Maybe, maybe not in God's providence. John chapter 9, Jesus, he's addressing uh, his disciples, really some confusion over this real control. And cause and effect in a broken world. And they see a man, he's been born blind. They said, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Something has to be to blame for this happening. Right? Cause and effect. Bad things don't happen for no reason, or to righteous people. I'll go on a limb here and so say the disciples maybe had not spent a lot of time in Ecclesiastes. But Jesus answered, It wasn't, it wasn't this man, it wasn't his parents that he was born blind. He was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. him. I, get, I get chills every time I read that because that is how God does business in this world. He takes what is weak, broken, frail, lost, and shows his goodness and his glory, his mighty deeds at those points in time. And he may very well do that in your life and in mine, it may be our most, powerful, our most powerful witness. It may be that stretch of deepest growth in the Lord when you have been pummeled and are at your weakest. But Jesus continues, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So without fleshing out all that Jesus is saying, At the very least, he tells us to seize upon the day to do our work that the Father has given. Night is coming. The time of our death or the time of his return and judgment is at hand. Be about the work of the Father today. Not sure if Martin Luther actually said this, but it's attributed to him. He said, if I knew tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. It's good. Plant the apple tree. Weed the garden. Wash the car. Make the appointment. While it is yet today. Um, and there's some who are going to respond to this word. I'll end here by saying, well, you know, if if we really don't have that much control, if we can't count on the cause and effect all the time, if everything is vanity, then why don't we just, you know, l- live the fool, you know, loud, proud, and foolish. Wisdom isn't, isn't that security and comfort that I'm looking for. But the answer remains the same because we are in God's hand. He may not stop the, the madness, but he's with us in it, invested in what is happening every moment of our lives. We're here to, to glorify him, to acknowledge that he is the one who sustains us. The Father is the source of all wisdom, and the Son personifies this wisdom. Jesus is the very wisdom in the face of death. The joy of the wise is a joy in Jesus, who has claimed victory over death. So our enjoying God forever, we know that answer to the question, right? Our enjoying God forever starts right now, it starts today. We're just getting started. We're just warming up for that great dinner party. When we will be robed in white, faces shining, the feast of the Lamb. That's what we look forward to. And until then, let's do what we've been given every day for the glory of God. We're in His hands. We can enjoy all from His hand, even as He governs all things. Uh, It is ever and always good for His beloved children. Take that comfort, take that assurance in the rest of today. And if the Lord gives us tomorrow, we'll take that comfort and assurance into that day. Let's pray together. Father, we are so very grateful that you are in control that we are not. We think we understand these causes and effects. And Lord, you've placed us in a world where it works out that way so many times. You are a God of, of order we see that order and we anticipate it, and yet we do not see all that transpires from day to day. And so, Lord, we entrust our lives, our every moment, our days to you. For you are working good in our lives. You are working good in the life of your church. You are wise, and it was in your wisdom uh, that you have sent your beloved Son for us, that we too might have the joy of knowing you are God, the joy of walking with you, the joy of worshiping you for eternity. Lord, may we be about uh, this today and the good work that you've given to us, Uh, that we take joy in the provisions of your hand, not turning those good things and trying to displace you into God things but using the beauty of the sunshine and the smell of the flowers and the opportunity to mow the lawn, whatever it may be in front of us in this week, Lord, that it would move our hearts and our minds to the source of all that's good, to the source of beauty, and that is you, our God. Be glorified as we go from this place in Christ's name.